This is episode number 458 with music exec legend Jason Flom. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome to this episode, guys. I am super pumped. We've got a big guest on. His name is Jason Flom. And I'm going to share a little bit about who he is in a moment. Before I do, I want to make sure you guys check out something right now. My new book, The Millionaire Morning. Now, this is a free book that will actually ship a physical book to you. All you do is pay for shipping and handling. It's The Millionaire Morning, the morning mindset, habits, and routines that will make you rich. We talk about how to break free of the mindset that is holding you back from earning more. Also, the 10 steps to developing a millionaire mindset, the top habits of millionaires that you can actually start applying every day. doesn't matter where you live, what gender you are, if you have been to college or graduated or not, what career you're in, it doesn't matter, any of that. You can start applying these habits today. And the key is to building the right relationships to grow your business. Check it out. Get a free copy. We ship it internationally as well themillionairemorning.com. Go get your free copy right now and let me know when you get it. Again, themillionairemorning.com. Today's episode, we've got a big one. It's almost like a two-parter. It's almost like two interviews in one, but they somehow tie together. So I wanted to keep them together because it's so powerful. Now, if you don't know who Jason Flum is, he is the guy that discovers rock stars. And he also defends wrongfully convicted inmates and just the the life he's lived the people he's met the things he's experienced and what he's done are so powerful he is the ceo of lava records and lava music publishing he was previously the chairman and ceo of atlantic records virgin records and capital music group and is personally responsible for launching acts such as kid rock Katy perry and lord the new yorker described him as one of the most successful record men in the past 20 years Known for his speciality in delivering monsters. Artists who he discovered and developed during his time at Atlantic Record include Kid Rock, Matchbox 20, The Coors, Haley Williams, Skid Row, Tori Amos, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Jewel, and Sugar Ray. From there, he moved to Virgin Records in 2006, where he discovered the megastar and signed Katy Perry. And then when he moved to Capitol Records, he went on to oversee the careers of artists like Coldplay, Lenny Kravitz, and 30 Seconds to Mars. And again, in this interview, we cover some amazing things. First, we talk about the stories behind how Jason discovered superstar acts like Lord and Katy Perry. What separates a true star from all the other talent they are competing with and how he can spot the difference between them. Also, why Jason is so passionate about correcting our legal system and what he's doing about it. The crazy stories of wrongfully convicted people who Jason has helped exonerate and get out of prison. Also, what anyone can do right now to support changing the defects in our legal and political system that has been corrupting things for a long time. This one was a lot of fun for me. For one, it's exciting for me to learn about how someone can go from working in a mailroom, essentially, to being the CEO and discovering some of the biggest acts in the world and also continue to 
build your industry in your industry, but also build outside of it and use your influence to serve greater causes like what Jason is doing with the wrongfully convicted. Before we get into the episode, I want to give a quick shout out to our review of the week over on iTunes. That's right. Every week we're talking about the best reviews and we're getting a lot lately. So thank you to everyone who's left a review over on iTunes. And this one is from John Burrito, who said, absolutely life changing. This show has transformed my morning and afternoon commutes into a time of personal growth, reflection and empowerment. Thank you so much, Lewis, for your bravery, honesty and your giving heart. You have opened my eyes to what is possible in my own life, and your show has connected me to the messages of some of the greatest minds in the world. Thank you, thank you a million times. Thank you. Keep the greatness coming. So thank you so much to John Burrito. And again, I love the last name there. And again, this is another one of those episodes where I think it's going to fill you with great inspiration and insights about how to reach the top of your industry, but also how to make an impact in the world and hear about the story of what Jason does to serve so many people who were wrongfully convicted. Make sure to check out the full show notes at lewishouse.com slash 458, where you can see the full video interview and all the other links back to what Jason is up to as well. But without further ado, let's dive into this episode with the one, the only Jason Flom. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off, off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off with capella university's flex path learning format you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success imagine your future differently at capella.edu Welcome back, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. We have Jason Flom in the house. Good to see you, man. Thanks for coming in. What's up? Thanks for having me. I'm excited about this because a uh, mutual friend introduced us, Ryan Blair, right? Is that, yep. is that first introduced us, and I started learning more about you after he connected us and we chatted on the phone, and uh, a fascinating life, fascinating story, first starting in the music industry, still in the music industry, but you've broken a number of big names who are just a few of the names that you've kind of like either discovered or helped develop into becoming superstars oh man i mean going uh i've got a list of like paragraphs of them going in reverse chronological order (laughs) i guess you go lord and uh jesse j and katie perry and 
uh, Paramore and 30 Seconds to Mars and then going back further, Kid Rock and Matchbox mm. 20 and then even further back, Stone Temple Pilots and Skid Row wow. and, you know, Jewel and the Corps and Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I, I get a kick out of that one because it's sort of, I think, a little ironic that the biggest Christmas act in history was created or co-created by a Jew. So yeah, it's been, listen, the music business has been very, very good to me and it goes even further back, but I don't want to give you some of those names because sure. then people will date me. <laughs> sure. Well, Trans-Siberian is such a huge hit too. I, I knew one of the, uh, the violinists, I think his name is Mark Wood, I think. I'm not sure if you know who that is, but I think he performed it. But there's a lot of different acts in, in Trans-Siberian now. There's like multiple or no? Well, there's two touring companies, gotcha. right? which yeah, is yeah. a brilliant thing, right? The fact yeah. is that they could be playing Seattle and Philadelphia the same night. It's you amazing. Know, you can't really go wrong with that. Amazing. It, because it, yeah, and, and, the, and it, the shows are so consistently phenomenal. You know, the light show, I've been to one. It's cool. The lighting, the music, oh. it's like high energy. It's the awesome. narrator. Yeah, it's great. It just makes everybody feel good. You know what's interesting about that is that they don't have an intermission and they sell less um, concessions than any other artist because <laughs> nobody leaves their seat. They all sit there like they're Mesmerized. witnessing you know, a miracle, you know? <laughs> Christmas miracle. Nobody leaves their seat. It's crazy. I don't think wow. anybody goes to the bathroom. You know, like, and so it's it's funny because I think some of the promoters would love it if they would put an intermission in so they could sell some sodas. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's funny. Not happening. Now, so you've been in the music world for how long has it been now? Woof. Um, well, I started on July 31st, 1979. Wow. I was given a staple gun and some double-sided tape and a bunch of posters and uh, went out and climbed around on ladders and went these Go things. promote this guy. Go promote this act, yeah. Well, we used to have things called record stores. Some of your listeners <laughs> yes, will remember that. I remember right? them. And they were great. They were places where you'd go to buy records. Yes. You know what I mean? And, um, and then it was CD stores, right? Yeah, record stores became. They were still called tapes, record stores. Yeah, CD, yeah, all that tapes and yeah. And so I would climb around, and it was. I, it was. I immediately fell in love with the business. I mean, it was like uh, they were paying me four dollars an hour. I was getting all the free records I could carry home, mm. and running around putting up Led Zeppelin posters. I was like, "This is it! I found the greatest job in the world. I'm 18 years old. I can't get any better. That's it. I'm, I've arrived." You know. Right. And so it was at that moment that I realized I I, I gave up on my rock star dreams at that point. You, you know? wanted to be a, a musician. Oh, I was absolutely sure I was going to be a rock star, even though I was aware of the fact that I wasn't talented enough. Guitarist? Or I was a guitarist, yeah. Did you sing as well? No, I you can't tried sing to. at all. I can't sing at all. They used to let me sing one or two songs, just because that was the time when people could go to the bathroom, because <laughs> 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 it was my group, but yeah, I could only sing one note, right. so it was bad. But um, but yeah, we played some clubs in New York, and we did a lot more rehearsing than gigging, and anyway, um, you know, but I got a job. My dad, who was a, a sort of a legendary uh, attorney in, in the you know throughout that time um and, and an amazing amazing man he was my hero but uh he gave me a year between high school and college to become a rock star and my mom huh. vetoed the deal so my mom who had never cursed in her life before that time said bullshit if he's living in my house he's got to work or go to school now in wow. manhattan you can't just get an apartment they're not it's not no. cheap no. i had no money I, so i had to live in the house so my dad the famous the, the one of the most famous negotiators of the 20th century had to go and unnegotiate the deal he had no just way. negotiated with his wayward son because you know i was stoned all day long and i had hair down to you know i mean I, it was crazy right so anyway so he <laughs> knew somebody who knew somebody who got me an interview at warner communications i walked in the interview high because it was 10 in the morning and you know that's you that's know, your life enough time to smoke a couple joints by then <laughs> yeah and I walked in the interview sometimes i said you're going to work at atlantic records and i went and i fell in love with the business the first day there mm. and i was like you know what my dad had told me and my brother do whatever you want to do try to be the best at it but just make the world a better place he says if you do that you'll be a success in my eyes well i wanted to be a success in his eyes because he was my hero so 
Um, I found I knew I was never going to be the best guitar player. This right. was around the time the first Van Halen record came out, and in case I needed a reminder, I was like, okay, fuck it. you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's no point that I can't do. Yeah. You know? um, so <laughs> I mean, so you know, I was adequate. I was good. But anyway, so I but I but I walking around the halls of Atlantic Records in those legendary times, and those were really fun times to be in the business. I realized I could be the best at this. Like, wow. I, this is something I I love this. It was my favorite label. You know, I I had the labels, you know, Led Zeppelin and ACDC, yeah. whatever. All those records, Bad Company back in the day with the A spinning around. Sure. People who are young haven't experienced that, but it's pretty fun when you get vinyl, and vinyl's making a comeback. It is, which is great. So to watch that that A with the the little. Um, Floral, like whatever that thing is called, the little like circle thingy, sure. um, spinning. Around. It was just like part of my, you know, childhood growing it was in up. My soul, yeah. And I was like, wow, this is, you know. And now you're working there, yeah. And the crazy thing is, after my crazy mm-hmm. journey, like twenty, almost twenty five years to the day from that, like day of walking in there, um, they they asked me to become chairman of the, of the record company, and I was like, uh, you, uh, you guys sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> it was like me. Yeah. Um, you know, and we know what's crazy. This is that my first thought when they offered me that job, which of course I wanted, I was like, "Wow!" I mean, do I? Does that mean I get to like decide whether it's a snow day? Like that was, that was the weirdest thing. Like it's so weird how your mind goes. Snow I was like, day. and for you people in LA that don't know what snow days are, right. you know, or in the in the you know, now, or in the Southwest, got, right? Yeah. Snow days when you actually like don't have to go to school because it's snowing, yeah. right? Now you know with global warming we won't have any more snow days anyway. But that's beside the point. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it it was a it was a crazy journey, and it was really, wow. It was a, and so you started you know as a you know a low level four dollar an hour posting posters up or whatever you're doing, promoting records, I'm assuming, to did doing every single job there? Or did you kind of make some big leaps? Or, or what happened? You started managing artists? Or what was the process? Well, so serendipity and synchronicity are a big, start of my sto- big part of my story. And luck, right? I think, you know, you have to be lucky. Um, and But I think there are ways to get lucky, too. And, and yeah. we'll talk about that. But the fact is, what happened was, I decided I needed to find a band. Because if I found a band, maybe they'd give me a job finding bands. Uh. And I was like, but how am I going to find a band? I have a staple gun and some double-sided tape. Not exactly the tools of the trade. So I was like, okay. I set my mind. I said, okay. There's a, there was a magazine back then, a music industry trade magazine called Album Network. And I was like, okay, Album Network had, mm. in the, it was the Bible of rock radio. Yeah. It would tell you everything you need to know about what was going on, which records were going up, which were going down, which were coming out, what the programmers thought of this, all this stuff, right? And have advertisements for different records. So I decided if I, the, in the back of the magazine, they had the playlists of all 190 rock stations around the country. And rock was my thing back then. Uh-huh. So I decided if I studied these playlists, and my eyes were real good because I was 18, 19 sure, years old. Sure. So I was like, <laughs> if I study these playlists, maybe I'll find a record that's being played on a station that isn't already signed. And then I can mm. try to find out about that group. And maybe that would be a chance for me to like bring it to somebody. So that was, that was my thing. So and, have to, and they printed the name of the station and the phone number and the name of the program director. So I could just call and pretend I was somebody important, wow. which is what I would do. And half the time they wouldn't take my call anyway because they didn't know me. But half the time they would. Yeah. And then most of that time they would say, no, 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 that's already signed to you know RCA or whatever they would say. Right. So as fate would have it. One day I'm looking at this, I'm staring at this list, and there was a station in Long Island called WBAB, and they were playing a group called The Lines. 
So I call up the program director. His name was Bob Buckman. I get Bob on the phone. I go, Bob, what's the lines? He goes, it's nothing. It's a favor. I put it on the radio as a favor huh. to somebody. You don't need to worry about that. And I said, well, if you were me, who would you sign? It's the type of thing you would say, right? Yes. Like, let me just go play handball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> so, yeah. so I was like, who should? I mean, I had as much chance of signing anything as you did of making the handball team. Right, That's right. basically it. I didn't sign anything. It's rid- right. a ridiculous thing to say. And how old were you? I was probably 19, maybe. Wow. Okay. 18, 19. You know, I could barely sign my name back then so anyway <laughs> i don't know if i'm allowed to curse the show anyway so so i said okay i'm going to uh uh so, so he says let me tell you about zebra i go what's zebra he goes it's the most requested band at the radio station I go, and they weren't signed i go you mean most requested local band he goes no genius he goes listen let me tell you something he goes number one at the station is zebra then two three and four in some order was zeppelin acdc and ozzy Osbourne. wow i was like oh my god this is it I'm, I, this is it. How do I get a hold of these guys, right? So he says, hold on, I'll call them on the other phone. So they lived in New Orleans. They'd been playing clubs for nine years and selling out everywhere. They'd play New York in the summer because it was too hot in New Orleans, and then they'd play New Orleans in the winter because it was too uh-huh. cold in New York, and they, they were big in both markets. Anyway, they'd given up on getting a record. Huh. They'd passed over by everybody. But and, they were selling out. But nobody cared. Yeah. So um, I didn't say that music business is a logical place. Right. You'll never hear me say that. So anyway, um, so what happened was he, the next day I get to my desk and there's a FedEx package. Now FedEx was kind of a new thing back then. Again, I'm dating myself, but it, mm-hmm. I was, it was like glowing. I was like, what do I do now? You know, so <laughs> I opened it. There was a record in it. I'm like, great. Now where do I listen to it? So I go to one of the guys whose job it was to do this, the A&R, right? Mm-hmm. The talent. I said, I figured this guy must know what he's doing. He's got an office. Right. So I go in his office. I said, you're about to hear the next big thing. He says, really? Did you listen to it? I go, no, but I'm telling you. Because I knew, like, intellectually, I yeah. had, statistically. Yeah, right? if everyone's requesting guy, it. It's, it's got to be good. Yeah. Selling out. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, so I put it on. The guy gives me five, ten reasons why it's no good. So I go back to my desk to call this guy, Randy, to tell him that his stuff's no good. And as I'm dialing the number, I said to the uh, assistant, and we were called secretaries back then. Now it's politically incorrect. But I said, Mary, this, this doesn't make any sense to me. The, kid, this guy is number one on the station, selling out everywhere. And the guy just told me it's no good. And I'm calling him to tell him that his stuff's no-. She goes, it doesn't make any sense to me either. I said, That's oh, why it hasn't been signed yet. Huh? Right? So I said, yeah. Yeah, probably so. So I call him up. Well, how many great ideas do we know that were, that were, init- that were accepted on the first go-round? No, right? Not many. So that's one of my, my central tenets. But anyway, that's, we'll get to that. But so anyway, so I call him up and I said, listen, the, the guy says no good for this reason, that reason. Mm. But I'm going to give it to the president of Atlantic and see what he thinks. Now, I didn't know the president of Atlantic. I mean, I knew I should stay away from him when I was high and the smoke was captured <laughs> in my hair. And I was like, I looked like Cousin It. And it was like, yeah, you know, yeah. so. But other than that, I fit, so I went and I made a cassette of it and I put it on his secretary's desk. It was like a wall of cassettes on her desk that mm. he was probably never going to listen to, right? Because everybody's doing the same thing I'm doing, hoping right. that he's going to pay some attention. So that's where the story gets interesting. So he was, he grabs, sometime the next few days, he grabs a few cassettes to listen to on his way home. Well, he happened to live in Long Island. So he's listening to Zebra in the cassette deck and decides that he doesn't like it and pops it out and the same song is playing on the radio. No way. Because he lived in Long Island. The station was tuned to WBAB because that was the hot station. And so now you can imagine, he's like, huh. I found this out much later, right? Because all I knew is the guy, the next day the guy comes in and says, this is genius. And I was like, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah, like, I knew I that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, You're yeah, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's what happened. So that was my break. Because at the end of the song, the DJ said, that's the most requested song in the history of WBAB. Zebra, no way. Who's behind so the he door. was listening to it and like, oh, my God. Yeah. We need is, to get these guys. Because he was smart. I mean, he was a guy, he's the guy who taught me that your opinion is not 
nearly as important as the public's opinion. That's it. What so the market wants. the public wants. makes that movement where you reach in your pocket yeah, and you put down your money, that's it. Well, in this case, they that. were just making requests, but even still, right, right. Go, oh, they were buying tickets. Right. Back then, there was no downloading. So anyway, it was great because when the record actually finally came out, and it was a whole twisted saga to get to that point, but when it finally came out, the kids all cut school and bought the record because they'd been waiting years for their favorite oh band gosh. to put out a record. So they were like snatching it out of the boxes. They couldn't even stamp the price on it, which was only like $3 back then. And they, three sixty nine, I think. And they, you know, and it was like, and everybody's looking at me like, I know what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, I know what I'm doing, but I didn't know what I was doing, but I faked it. And I, you know, and then, wow. Yeah. And then the next band I worked with was Twisted Sister. And then things got interesting from there. So and they, yeah. were, and they just gave you the, they're like, okay, go find the next big act and go find the next person. And, yeah, not exactly. I mean, you still, you know, the music business is funny. It's always like, what's, what have you done for me lately? You know? Right. right. If you're not doing something this year, it's like you're, you're dead to you're me, You're the right? guy that used to be the guy who discovered that some guy, you know, it's, yeah. it's no more relevant or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to stay, you know. Well, luckily you've broken like a thousand big artists, so. Yeah. It sounds been, like you've had a good career. Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, it's been uh, it's been amazing to be able to do something that I love and mm. work with people that, uh, you know, I just... Uh, I, uh, you know, I wanted to be a rock star, so I love the whole rock star thing. I love rock and roll. I love mm. the lifestyle. I love the the, the um, larger than life aspect of it. And so I've always I've always tried to find stars as opposed to just records. You know, like I I like rock stars. I like. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Who is the the star that you enjoyed meeting and building up the most? 
or that just took off a great run and was like so amazing to you to watch? Um, you know, the, I guess it's funny. The two that I'm probably most proud of for very different reasons. Um, one is Tori Amos, you know, just because she's so profoundly gifted and, um, and it was a, it was a very difficult process, uh, getting her to where she had to get to, but, Mm. Um, she had like a unique voice. It was different. They didn't know where to put her at, right? Yeah, her first single had no drums in yeah. it. And like the first album did nothing. People don't even know she had an album called Why Can't Tori Read that didn't do anything. <laughs> now you have to, I think it's worth $500. I should have saved a box of them. Right, right. Five, each one's worth like $500 on eBay or something. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, that, I don't know, that one still has for some reason really stuck with me maybe also because it's very different than a lot mm-hmm. of the other access i know though you know very recently i was i bumped into this little prodigy named lord and so and there's a there's a there's a through line there somewhere right blake um, Lo- blake loves lord right yeah. <laughs> everybody loves lord so how did so, you how did that happen like did you just find her you heard her or what what happened there um i was just going through my inbox one day mm-hmm. and there was an email from uh a, a woman named uh, Natalia Romashevsky, who is a, uh, she worked in the, the putting music and TV ads, like a, a jingle business, sync business, whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She was somebody who I knew who had, uh, would send me music time to time because her job was to listen to as much music as possible to try to send find the right the music to put in the end. Yeah, yeah. So I, and, and I'd never heard anything that she had sent that I was particularly into. And she sent me this one uh, email, and the, and the, which I now have framed in my office and autographed wow. by Lord. And the subject line was hot shit. And then it just said, unsigned New Zealand female, listen. It had a link to her SoundCloud. And then she put a disclaimer on the bottom, which is kind of funny. She said, not sure if this is your type of thing, but thought you should hear it, right? So I took one listen, and Royals was the first song on it. No way. And I called it, I called it Natalia. I was like, what in the world is this? And she goes, I don't know. She's like, I just got it. Like a friend of mine in London sent it to me. It had only been out for two days. Like it had 200 plays on SoundCloud. At wow. The time, right? So I was like, we got to find her. So I found her uh, on Facebook, I think. How right? old was she then? 15. Wow. So I emailed Ella, Lord is Ella, and uh, she emailed me back. She didn't know who I was. I mean, she's 15 years old living in New Zealand. Yeah. Why would she? Yeah. Um, and she sent me back an email and said, you know, contact um who to contact and whatnot and the next thing i'm on a conference call with her parents and her manager and you know um i remember telling and, and i can imagine it's sort of probably strange to be you know one of her parents right You're, she's 15 she's in new zealand you got this guy calling from new york who's like we you know i mean record guy like what is going on i was like i, I remember saying on that call that she's gonna win grammys and wow. i was right i mean there was you know what's funny too that i don't know why i i think this way because i'm <laughs> sort of like i, I sort of I'm mean, very interested in energy and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not like super new agey or anything, but I am interested in. But you got energy. the beads, you got the whole, you know, you got the thing. I got my stuff. So, um, <laughs> yeah, there's a story behind all these two. But um, so, the interesting thing that I that dawned on me was at the she wrote Royals because she saw a picture of George Brett in a Royals uniform, hmm. which is odd in itself because there's no baseball in New Zealand, right? Like, where did she see that? I guess online. Right, it must have been on yeah. something. Interesting. Um, That's hilarious. And then what happens is Royals becomes the biggest song in the in the country by far, and number one at seven formats, which never happens, and 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 huge all over the world. And the Royals, who are perennially terrible at baseball, become the best team in baseball. It's overnight. Kansas City, right? Yeah. <laughs> like hilarious. that year they went to the World Series, and yeah. the next year they won the World Series. What happened? Like huh. it's weird, right? Energy. Like, the Royals are one of those teams that just doesn't win. Never. Right. So all of a sudden they win, 
Royals. I don't know. Like sometimes it it could be a coincidence, hmm. but maybe not. I don't wow. know. Somebody, if anybody has any theories, let us know. That's crazy. How old is she now? She is nineteen. Wow, that was yeah. a pretty quick process. Like right when you discovered her and you found her, you were just like, okay, here's the next step. We're gonna put this out, and then it just kind of took off. Yeah, I mean, it was a little more involved than that, but she had the music was there. And, wow, you know, she she was writing all her own stuff, and she wrote the whole first record with a guy named Joel Little, uh, wow. who was a guy at uh, yeah, they did it in the Little Studio in in New Zealand, and like with very little, you know, I mean, it didn't cost a lot of money, nothing fancy, no bells and whistles, no no samples, no no features, no you know, just like pure inspiration. And it's interesting, you know, I read when I was reading the obituary of Bobby Fisher. This is a random fact, but I was in that obituary. They said that there's three things that children can become geniuses at, which are music, math, and chess. And sort of an interesting thing to take a minute and think about, right? Because it's true. We know Mozart was seven when he was doing writing symphonies and stuff, right? And you see, there was a kid on 60 Minutes not too long ago who's like a, a, a prodigy of life. He's written more symphonies than wow. some of the masters. I think he's 11 or 12. And his parents aren't musical, and the music just comes to him. And he writes them all like he just writes; like they just come out. He never changes a note; it just like flows out of his brain wow. onto his paper. So, so yeah, and and, it's, and and the reason they said that that is the case is because music, math, and chess are all based on math. So somehow, and you know, we need a, a neuroscientist to explain this to us, I guess. But fascinating. Know, yeah, I find it interesting. Wow, man! And and what was the vision for you? Like, you know, you have. Vision probably for every artist, but just talking about Lord, what's the vision when you find something like that? Do you say, okay, here's what we're going to do for you, or here's where it's going to go, or do you, I mean, how do you even do this? Like well, just some random girl from New Zealand, 200 views, how do you take it to like the biggest super, one of the biggest superstars in the world in the next two years? Well, this, listen, it's, we market magic, right? It's a strange business. It's yeah. not a product that you can see. Mm. It's not a product that you can... I mean, you can hold it in your hands in the sense of actually holding a physical disc, but yeah. you're not holding music. I it's mean, a feeling. It's a feeling, right? It's something that comes experience. It it touches you, and and it touch and it's interesting. It's it's really pretty much untestable too, right? And I find this interesting because you know, like movies, when when they make a movie, often they'll take a audience and they'll put them in a theater mm. and they'll show them the movie, and people go, "I don't like the ending," or "I don't like when the guy <laughs> dies in the thing," and then they'll change it. Right, because it's research, and but in music you can't do that because movies are a thing you go to go see, and you can simulate that experience. This is what my theory. I don't know if I can't prove yeah. this. So you have a, an audience that's basically put into the actual experience that they would be having if they went to a theater. But when you ask people to listen to music and give you an opinion, you're removing the spontaneity mm. and the magic that happens, and you're turning them. You know, it's like if you're thinking, you're stinking, right? And so. You're actually, it's. Am I? No, no you're right. I mean, I can't smell anyway, so it's fine. Um, maybe. So, um, so, yeah, so it's an interesting thing because it's not something you, no one's ever been able to figure out a way to play music to a group of people in a room and then walk out of there and go, this is a hit, this is not a right, hit. Right. Except that, you know, there was a guy many years ago who, that's a crazy story, but that's beside the point, you know, who's the first guy to figure out that if you put it to, took a record and put it on in a club, and people all got up and started dancing. It was probably a hit. Now, it's dance music. It's a specific thing. It's logical, though. This is the only science we have in the business. Other than that, it's it's like alchemy. So, but with the with Lord, I mean, the thing was really, um, you know, just to take our time was our strategy, and not rush, and not like just go to pop radio, but take it instead to 
um, you know, what we call AAA radio, mm -hmm. uh, then alternative radio, and then ultimately pop, but let it build with the grassroots feeling with, with the people, the, the tastemakers, you know what I mean? The, um, for mm. lack of a better word, the cool kids, you right. know? Um, and you know, that's, and that's what we did. Uh, but in the case of Lord, it was, but it happened know, pretty quick. I mean, 15 to 17, she was already selling, you know, platinum and, well, she had two monster number one hits, you know, and, you know, she also like I, I remember when she told me the name of the album was going to be Pure Heroin. And I was like, I I actually it took me a day and a half to recover from the genius of that. Right. Like Pure Heroin with an E on the end and Lord has an E on the end. And it's just like and was her uh, name. Does she call herself Lord then or was it? Well, she's always been Lord as long as I've known her. And the crazy thing is, you know, I saw the first show she ever did, which was in uh, Auckland. The first show she ever did with her own material, right? She had done shows in high school and things like that, singing covers or whatever. But I was at this little club in Auckland, probably <laughs> 70 people there. But she was Lord. I mean, you know, sometimes you see artists That's that, amazing. like, they start off and they're really bad. And uh -huh. then they have to grow and, and you get better. You do hundreds and hundreds of shows, you yeah, get better. Yeah, yeah. She was Lord. I mean, she, she was, was on stage it. owning it, you know, like. 15. 15. So that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Yeah, she's amazing. She's a. She's so you a, knew when you saw her that you were like, yes, this is, this is gonna happen. This is big already. Yeah, when I heard it, when I saw it, it was just like, and I was just lucky to get it when I did because uh, within weeks, other labels were calling and it had gotten out, and it was, you know, it was one of those that it was hard to listen to that record and not really, you know, wow. We all make huge mistakes, and the, you know, all the creative businesses are fused, uh, are filled with incredible stories of the biggest things, you know, being passed on, whether it's Harry Potter or Star Wars right. was dropped from the label it was on, or even Katy Perry, who I worked with, was dropped by two labels before I found her. Really? Or, you know, there's just, there's so many examples, right? The Confederacy of Dunce is one, is one that always sticks with me. And um, it's one of my favorite books. And, uh, you know, the, the problem is that mm. nobody, nobody in the music business, in the job that I'm in, that's 400. You know, like, it's like baseball. Right, right. You can't bat 400. Like, you can, if you're right three times out of 10, you go yeah. to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, just like baseball. And so the thing is, um, it's true, I believe, in the book business, in the movie Music, business, yeah. in the, you know, in the create any of the creative businesses. Like, we just, we're, you know, we're, we're guessing the best we can. Mm -hmm. But anyone who takes their own opinion too seriously is going to get bit in the ass because yeah. we don't know. You never know. And the it's market also, tells you. It's also like, it's not a, it, there's nothing, there's not, it's, it's the farthest thing from perfect science. And these are, you know, they're diamonds in the rough, typically, when we meet them. Like, Lord's different, right, in every way. Like, she had a finished song. Like, Royals was finished. Yeah. There was nothing to do. It was an imagination. It was there. And so, but normally, we find an artist, and they may not even have the song that's going to become their career. So you got to work song. with writers, and you got to put them together, and you got to figure it out. Right. Or the they sound. write themselves, or whatever it is. Yeah, but yeah. so, you know, and sometimes you'll kick yourself. You'll hear somebody, and you'll pass on it, and then it's on the charts, and you go, how did I, you know, like, mm. and, and that's, uh, you know, I only allow myself to kick myself these days for 48 hours maximum. You know what I mean? You can't, like. Who's the biggest person you passed on that you actually had a conversation with that you were like, eh. Oh, I don't God. think it's for me. It's not going to be that good. Like I'm not feeling it. And then it was just like home run. I spent after home years run. in therapy trying to forget <laughs> answer that question. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't Is know. there anyone you remember? Oh yeah. Well, listen. I I think I had the first meeting with Bon Jovi back in the day. Oh. You know. I mean, and oh. uh, my bosses didn't want to give him some. I don't know. Whatever. And I take some responsibility for it too. But I was not in a position to sign anything right, like that. Right. But I could have pushed harder. I certainly could have pushed wow. harder for him. Now. You know, Bon Jovi's an interesting one because I think everything worked out the way it was supposed to in a certain way because 
he his first record was marginally successful, right? And I think this that was the second one or the third one that was the big one. But he was signed to I think Polygram, and that label was failing, like it was going out of business. And they said we're going to put everything behind this guy. They were uh. smart enough to realize that he was their 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 way out, so to speak. And some genius that was working at the label at the time said, "I have an idea. Let's make him write with Desmond Child." And Desmond Child was a guy, if I remember correctly, he was writing like disco music back then, right? And they, so it seemed like a strange combination. You have this sort of long-haired rocker guy from New Jersey and this disco, gay disco songwriter guy. Like, it wouldn't seem logical, but, but it worked. The, they wrote those big songs. They wrote, wow. you know, Living on a Prayer and Wanted Dead or Alive and all the songs. And like, so had I signed him, that doesn't happen. It wouldn't happen. You know, there's no part of me that would have been smart enough or lucky enough or crazy enough to put him together with Desmond. Interesting. Who became a very important songwriter and a good friend. So that worked out. Wow. Yeah. And then, so Katy Perry is another interesting story. And I have a lot of stuff I want to ask you about everything else you're doing now, but this is fascinating to me. Uh, so Katy Perry was passed on a few people before you or she was with labels before and then it didn't work out they dropped her and then you found her or what was that she was originally signed as a christian artist you know i remember that yeah and then dropped um and then she was signed to columbia records and they couldn't figure out what to do with it they tried putting her in a group and they tried different things and then they didn't want it and then how i found her was that uh i when i took over the job running virgin records i hired a woman named angelica cobb to be our head of publicity and she had been the number two in publicity at Columbia. And so but not too long after she started at Virgin, um, she's very talented. And she said, uh, you know, there's a girl at, at Columbia is getting ready to drop named Katy Perry. And I think she's a star. You should meet with her. And I was like, okay. So I, I met with her. Actually, we had lunch at the Polo Lounge. And she walked in and I was like immediately taken by her. I was like, this this girl's going. Same feeling I had when I met Haley Williams the first time. I was like, oh. this this is a star. And she's, without hearing a note of music, I was like, she's going. Her energy, her... her the way she carries herself. Yeah, yeah. You, know, I, I, you know, my thing about stars is they walk and talk and, and, and wear clothes differently than normal people do. You could take the same clothes off the rack and put them on somebody else and put them on them, but they look great. And you're like, yeah. how's that? That's weird. You know, they might not even be great looking. Yeah. Not all of them are great looking, but they carry themselves with a certain je ne sais quoi that's just like, bam. And I am pretty good at recognizing it so with katie i had that feeling immediately and then it was funny because i got her music i loved it i went back and played it for the top executives at the time and they were like this is horrible wow like don't do this to us you know like literally like that like a visceral reaction like you know running the company this time right i was running i was the chairman and ceo yeah so but but even still yeah yeah, but even still you get you know everyone's influenced by something somebody says to you you know like no matter who it is like somebody walks in it's like and you're like "Mm." and so for a moment i was like wait a minute like maybe it's not that good yeah and so it was a month or so later i was in my garage working out and i was listening to um I was listening to it on my headphones and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm an idiot. Like, she's great. I hope she didn't sign with somebody else. I may have blown this thing, right? And so I called her up and she was working at this little place in LA making $10 an hour. She was working out the, uh, what was the it's store? called Taxi. The clothing like, store? Or what? No, no. This no. is when she was working at a, a demo listening service ah, called okay. Taxi. That's funny. And I called her up and then, you know, it, that's how it all, that's how it all started. And you said, I'm going to do the deal. Let's sign you. Let's figure this out. Yep. And then... Yeah, I spoke to her manager and got the lawyers involved, and you know, and then and then and then the, another uh, serendipitous moment. You know, I invited her to our Grammy. I was in December. I invited her to our Grammy party, which was, of course, in the beginning of February. And she arrived with a guy named Dr. Luke, 
who I knew because I had actually given him his first break when he was a guitar player at Saturday mm-hmm. Night Live. I gave him a record deal. And um, he's hitting, you know, tons of hits he's written, right? Oh, yeah. He and Max are like the top hit writers, Luke, right? Luke went on an insane roll. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and anyway, so they walked in together and I was like, oh my God, you guys know each other? They're like, yeah, we're friends. I was like, well, you got to work together. Fantastic. And then I sort of, it, it, it had some fits and starts, but I sort of like really pushed hard for that collaboration. Mm-hmm. And of course that became, you know, again, did I know it was going to be that? No. Right, right. But did it work out? Yes. I mean, they... Kissed a Girl was her big wrote, hit, right? They wrote Kissed a Girl and Hot and Cold. And, and all the rest of her hits up until very recently were, were co-written with him, except for uh, Firework, which was written by... Uh, with, I think Katie wrote it with Stargate. Wow. So, um, which is always a funny thing. But, uh, you know, because it's Firework. It's a funny song. I thought it was only Fireworks. Maybe you're... A, is there a Firework? Is that a word? Does anybody know? That's firework. Weird. Can you have one firework? Yeah, one firework, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, I guess. <laughs> I'm not an English major. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, I thought it was one of those words that was only pure. Yeah. But it worked. It was a huge hit. I mean, that was a monster Mega. song. One of her Mega. biggest ever. Yeah, amazing. Well, congrats on all this. I mean, I could ask more about that. My brother's um, the number one jazz violinist in the world. And your parents were opera singers. They right? were opera singers, yeah. And my brother played with Les Paul in Time in Times Square for ten years. He t- he played at his uh, funeral a number of years back, and so I've grown up in the music world, kind of watching him struggle as a violinist, jazz violinist, which isn't the, you know a big industry. No, but I he's would, no. made a name for himself and really like grown as an entrepreneur and selling himself. Even in the jazz world, you know, it's like it's crazy how hard you have to work to kind of like make money in the jazz world. But he loves it. Yeah, that's like, like that old joke, right? What's the uh, definition of an optimist? A violinist with a beeper? <laughs> exactly, so like, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But so, he, he made it work, so that's great. For me, it's fascinating. I just love uh, the industry. And I've had, you know, I've had Scooter Braun on a few times and hear about his stories of success with Justin Bieber and all the things he's doing now. It's it's pretty cool to, to learn about what you guys do and how it all works. It's fascinating to me. Yeah, Scooter's, um, uh, he's... Uh, you know Scooter well, too? Or? Yeah, he's uh, an amazing, amazing guy. It's interesting because I saw him recently and he told me me that uh when i guess when he was a kid he he came to see me or something when i was running one of the labels i was running and he said i was really nice to him and gave him the time of day and whatever and i was like oh i i mean obviously i wouldn't necessarily remember because he was just a kid yeah but uh it's good good. yeah it's good it's not it's nice to be nice yeah of course it pays off in the long run right that's another thing my dad told me you know uh, when i was I must have been 10 years old, and my dad, we were at a party in New York at somebody's apartment, and he introduced me to a guy, and we walked away, and he said, son, that's one of the richest guys in, in America. And I was like, wow, dad, how did he get so rich? And he said, by being friendly. And I was like, that always stuck with me. And, you know, for me, I don't know how to be unfriendly. Like, when I've tried to be mean, like in business and stuff, or try to be <laughs> a, an a-hole, like, it's, a, it's laughable. Like, yeah. so, I mean, I've, it's not like I've never lost my temper, but I don't pretty even temper. Like, I don't yeah. lose my temper. I mean, it's not, it's not that serious. Um, so yeah, but anyway, so it's good. It's good to know. And I'm, I'm super proud of what he's doing. I mean, it's he's, amazing. Yeah. He's, he's on an incredible role. Yeah, he is unbelievable. Hit after hit and star after star. Um, but speaking of getting upset and not getting upset, he likes his little transition here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see where you're going. He likes his transition here. I, I could talk. We'll have to come back on and talk more about the music world. Uh, but th- you're doing some incredible work in the criminal justice space. You've got a podcast right now uh, that is called Wrongful Conviction, correct? Yeah, Wrongful, wrongful Conviction. Conviction. You're the founding board men- member of the Innocence Project, which has exonerated nearly 350 wrongfully convicted individuals. Is that correct? That's right. And... 
you're you're really part of the movement that's trying to bring awareness to the the criminal justice system, how messed up it is, and how there's all these people that go to prison for so long. And my brother was in prison for four and a half years, not wrongfully. He got caught by selling drugs to an undercover cop, and uh, I think the 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 time was maybe wrongful. He was spent uh, spent sent sentenced six to 25 years for selling two sheets of LSD to an undercover cop because the judge wanted to make a uh, an example of him in Ohio at the time with the whole drug stuff happening, I guess, in the early 90s or whatever. So, And I'm sure that magically worked and nobody did LSD again after <laughs> exactly, that, right? Right, yeah. exactly. But, uh, you know, he actually talks about how he got out in four and a half years on good behavior and joined the prison band and actually learned jazz and blues and hip-hop because he was the only white member of the band, and that's all they played was gospel and church music, and, and that's actually what helped him reinvent himself from a classical violinist to the most prolific jazz violinist in the world. Wow. And um, so he looks at it as like he's not mad at all. He, he's like, which I don't understand, you know, like the, all this time. He was only four and a half years, and the people you work with are 35, 40 years that they spend, and you're telling me stories beforehand about how they're not mad and they forgive. And even if it's not their fault and they didn't do the crime, they get out and they forgive, which just blows me away that they're not angrier about half their life being gone because of something, the system being wrong. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. Assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Yeah, I mean, that's... That's one of the things that drives me every day to want to do more to help uh, prevent future wrongful convictions and to help the, you know, get the people out who are in, um, you know, my, my driving and to help them once they do get out, you know, my driving passion 
for almost 25 years has been getting people out of prison who don't belong there and mm-hmm. reforming the system so that people like your brother don't go in in the first place. Because right. I'm glad he had a positive experience in there, yeah. but he's in a very, very small minority. Yeah. And the fact is... I mean, he went through some crap. I mean, there was definitely stories of like, I can't believe that you went through these certain things in prison, but... His experience afterwards is positive, you know. You know, I'm on the board also, Lewis, of, of various organizations that have been that are at the at the center of the what I call the war against the war on drugs, uh-huh. because I don't believe that anyone should go to prison for something they put in their own bodies. And the fact is that we have a lot more important things to worry about than than people doing nonviolent drug crimes. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and and should they even be crimes? We can debate that, right? The fact is, I'm I'm very gratified that after working on this stuff since 92 or three to see that, you know, marijuana is becoming legal. Right. And on the state level anyway, and that, you know, things are moving in at least on the state level uh, in in a more sane direction in Mm. in more in line with the rest of the world. Right. Right. The rest of the world doesn't do what we do. Lock up, you know, and I'll talk to politicians and I'll say, you know, if another country did to our citizens, what we do to our citizens, we'd invade. We'd be like, we're coming in. We got tanks. We got to save them. Yeah, we're going to say we can't do this. You can't. We lock up people at, at the, the highest rate per capita of any nation in the history of the world. Right. We have two point two plus million people really? in prison in America. Oh, my gosh. And I was just in Iceland five months ago. I think they have like seven people in prison or something. Yeah. In the whole country. Greenland doesn't have a prison. It's crazy, right? If they have somebody really, really terrible, they send them to Denmark. But they don't have a prison there. You know, like, so yeah, Iceland is, is I've always wanted to go there. It must be extraordinary. It's unbelievable. I can't wait. Beautiful. Go. you got to visit. I'm going to go so close go to see York the too. prison. It's like in the middle of like, a, in the middle of like this oasis land of like beauty. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and minimum and security, you know, it's like. No, and it's interesting right if you go to places like scandinavia right they have the opposite approach like they're all about rehabilitation are, there yes. are prisons there where the warden when you when you get sent to prison the whatever the group you get off the bus and the warden says listen you are going to be potentially my neighbors when you get out of here i'm going to treat you the way i would want to be treated yeah. myself and they have you know i mean the prisons there like yeah, they go to an extreme i mean the prisons there i've if you look, you look up the the pictures of the world's nicest prisons you'll see they're in norway and they're nicer than any college dorm in america beautiful right I mean, they're beautiful it's ridiculous so i mean it's actually over the top but maybe that's that, that's closer to the right approach this yeah. punishment thing like punishment like and and the thing that drives me crazy is nonviolent drug offenders right that's how i got into this because i read a story in the newspaper about a kid who was serving 15 to life like your brother really he was serving 15 to life for a nonviolent first offense in new york state and i was like what to life 15 to life i was like what that, no no that's not okay like I, I freaked out i was like i have to do something about this and so I ended up getting, uh, make a very long story short, I ended up getting a music business, a defense attorney I knew from the music business because at the time I had Scott Weiland and Sebastian Bach and they were getting arrested a lot. So I had this guy in speed dial. So I called him. I said, is there anything you do? He said, there's nothing you do. It's a Rockefeller drug laws. It's just the way it is. I was like, can you talk to the, because I had spoken to the kid's mother by now. I called uh-huh. her up. Her name was in the newspaper article. And I was like, we, I got, we got to help. We got to do something. So he, as a favor to me, agreed to take the case pro bono. Huh. And Several months later, we found ourselves in a courtroom in Malone, New York. I was sitting there holding the, – the mother's name was Shirley Lennon. Oh. The kid's name was Stephen. And I was sitting there with Stan and Shirley and me in the courtroom. And the judge, who looked like a conservative guy, he was an older guy with white hair, but maybe you can't judge a book by its cover. And, you know, the arguments were made back and forth because the lawyer had found some technicality. He'd been in for nine years mm-hmm. by now. Oh, my and the goodness. And the kid in shackles. You've seen this, right? The leg irons, the shackle to the waist, the whole thing. He was a nonviolent first offender. Oh, my gosh. And so – 
and the judge says something like, I haven't heard anything in this court today that under section this, statute this, but on the other hand, under the thing, because it's some legal mumbo-jumbo, and I'm sitting there, I don't know what's going on. And he goes, power granted, I mean, he goes, the motion is granted. And I was like, and Bob, the lawyer, comes over, and I was like, what just happened? And he goes, we won. I was like, we won? I go, we won. I go, that, that that's incredible. Like, that's the best feeling I've ever had in my life. Wow. And I'm sitting there with the mom and the thing, and like it's, it's like out of a movie, right? And so... I was like, I'm going to do more of that. That's wow. what makes me tick. I just found it, right? That was like my eureka moment. I was like, that's it. So now I was like, you know, and as somebody who had been a, a messed up kid when I was a kid, you know, I had been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. I wasn't any major drug dealer or anything, but I'd been in the wrong place at the wrong time enough times that all I had, had to do was get unlucky. And my life took, could have taken a very terrible yeah. turn. Yeah. Because all you need to be is be in a car with somebody who's holding it or be in a house. Because the way the crazy laws in this country work is if everybody says it's not mine, it's all of yours. Right. And I don't know too many guys who are dealers who would say, oh, yeah, that's my stuff. Right. You know? So everybody goes, not mine. Then it's like, well, yeah, guess what? You're, You're all, all going down for oh. the same amount. So um, and in fact, Stephen had had a guy. So my brother, too. There was like a group of five of them or something that all went down for a number of years. It's and, it's, and it's because they weigh the, the sheet. Right, yeah. that's the crazy thing with the LSD laws. They weigh the sheet that it's on, and people out there who should know this, like, don't yeah. do that, right? Because, or they can weigh, you know, if they want, they can weigh the uh, if, so if if you put it in a uh, a container with some sort of you know uh, water or or orange juice, whatever people put it in. I don't know. I don't do drugs, but the thing is, if you do. Um, then they can weigh that oh and charge gosh. you and send you to prison for 9,000 years. You know, it's, it's crazy. Like, it's crazy. And why? Like, why? And so, you know, and this kid, by the way, Steven, he, he turned into be a successful businessman. He has a contracting yeah. business. He got a couple wow. of kids last I heard and everything was fine, you know? And like, um, it was funny because uh, uh, five months after he got out, I got a letter from his sister who I'd never met. Joanne, I think huh. her name was. And it said, Dear Jason, you don't know me, but you got me pregnant. Now, that's not something a guy wants to hear, generally speaking. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> the fact is I was married at the time and I was faithful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, was, I knew that wasn't it. <laughs> but so she says, and she didn't have the same last name as him either, mm. right? So she says, well, how did this happen? Well, you know, for the last several years, my husband and I have been trying to conceive. And the doctor told me that the stress of my brother's incarceration was preventing me. And oh, man. now I'm pregnant and I just thought you should know. And I was like, that's cool. Oh, very sweet. So, yeah. So I became addicted, like literally addicted to this feeling. And so at the time I found out about this organization called Families Against Mandatory Minimums. And I joined their board. Uh, they had just started up. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's an organization dedicated to removing these mandatory sentences and giving judges back the power that they were supposed to have in the first place so that a judge could have looked at your brother and said, you know what? Maybe he wasn't dealing or maybe he wasn't the guy. And anyway, he's a virtuoso violinist and maybe mm -hmm. he, and, and he should go to a six-month six thing or something or whatever. Yeah, or whatever. a program or, or a, a, service. a rehab or yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, my thing is if, if people do drugs and they don't hurt anybody else and they don't operate a, a, a you know, a car or, mm -hmm. you know, put somebody else in harm's way as a result, but they want to sit at home or they want to go to a concert, whatever it is, and they're just going to walk around and be dopey. Yeah. Like, fine. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Where's the problem? There is no problem. Like, there's no problem. Right. So the problem is not drugs. The problem is the war on drugs. That's the problem. And it has a very, very real consequence. It's there's so many real consequences, and you know the the philosophy. And I want to get to the innocent stuff, but the philosophy of this movement is it's called harm reduction, right? So what mm. we first thing we have to do is accept that drugs have always been and will always be a part of society, right? Cavemen did peyote. We know that, mm -hmm. right? Little children spin in a circle because they like the feeling of being dizzy. Right. It's never going to change. You yeah. can't 
you can't pro- a prohibition your way out of it. You can't interdict your way out of it. You can't. Did anybody watch Narcos? Like, come on. Yes. So you can't. I love that show. Right. So incredible. It's amazing. So unbelievable. So. <laughs> So the fact is, what you have to do is accept that and then figure out how to reduce the amount of harm that drugs do to society. And one of the problems with, with that is that, you know, this mass incarceration thing, it's, and a lot of the conservatives now are on the, on the right side of this, the libertarians, right? They don't like all these prisons and all this money being spent and all this, they call mm-hmm. it this big government, right? Yes. So we have a good coalition of the left and the right now to try to remove, you know, to try to get rid of this insane, you know, uh, war on drugs, which now we know Nixon admitted, Nixon said, to Haldeman, who now admitted it, right, in an interview, uh, that he didn't want a war on drugs. He wanted a war on black people and hippies. Oh, my gosh. So he called it a war on drugs because he couldn't call it that. And like, and still, we're not going to... So anyway, yeah, and your brother, unfortunately, got caught up in it, and, yeah. and, and so did so many, you know... Two point... Well, and, not 2.5 million. Are, those are in prison, right? But so many of those are in drugs, uh, did the drug stuff, A too, lot, right? a big percentage of those are in for nonviolent, very low-level drug crimes. It's insane. And just to talk about, because I had this thought also, I, I watched the Mike Myers documentary on... What was it called? Have you seen this documentary about, like... He goes to all these other countries and takes the best ideas from these countries and says, America, we need to do this. I don't know if you've seen this documentary. It's pretty fascinating. Michael Moore, isn't it? Michael Moore. What did I say? I haven't seen it yet. Where to invade next, it's called. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So he went to these prisons in whatever, Denmark or these other countries, and they're literally like in resorts. You know, they have their own bikes. They have their own homes. And like with lakes and stuff, and they're just riding around. It's like they're living in a compound like in a Malibu beach resort or something, they just can't leave the compound, but they're allowed to do whatever they want when they want. They all have knives, like they're cooking, they talk to all the chefs, and they have like big butcher knives all in the the kitchen, and Mike's asking like, what did you do? He's like, I'm I'm in here for murder. And they're like, when they let you have knives, like cutting up onions or whatever with the rest of the people in here, like, yeah, they trust us, and they want us to, you know, rehab or whatever, and they want us to feel safe, and they want us, whatever it is, it's like, crazy almost. Yeah, they have their own rooms with locks on the doors on the inside. Yes. On the inside. And, and I'll bet you dollars to donuts that they have less violence in their prisons than we have in ours. I'm sure. And you know, it's, it's interesting. There's a guy named Tony Papa who's a guy who was sentenced to 15 years to life in New York State for nonviolent first offense. He actually painted his way out of prison. He became a museum painter in prison and then was pardoned by the governor after 12 years. Oh my gosh. Now he works at the Drug Policy Alliance, which is the leading organization. I'm on the board there, too. Sounds like I, all I do is serve on boards, but there is all this stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> once in a while, I like to play golf or ice hockey. But anyway, so, um, so yeah, the uh, uh, Tony, um, you know, he says... He has a great saying where he says, if we can't control the flow of drugs in a maximum security prison, how can you possibly hope to control them in a free society? Right. And we know, and that's true. Like in, anyone that works in a prison or you talk to that's in a prison says you can can drugs. You people it's do crazy, drugs. Like, isn't it's it? crazy. Right. So the fact is, um, it, it's, it's, it's pure insanity to try to think that you can, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, whatever, criminalize your way, whatever, law enforcement your way out of this. My grammar's terrible, but you know what I'm trying to get to. Like, you can't, you know, you can't police your way out of it. You can't interdict your way out of it. You have to accept it and then give people that need the help a chance to go to rehab, which I did, and, um, you know, and help people just go on with their lives. A lot of people, don't, they don't need rehab and they don't need anything else. They just they just need to be left alone. Right. A lot of people, the overwhelming majority of people that do drugs are fine. And by the way, a lot of them are working in the most responsible positions mm-hmm. in our society, right? 
I mean, so it's like, it's fine. We made a problem out of a problem that isn't a problem. It's not a problem. You know, I mean, there are, there are some problems associated with it, of course. I'm not going to be Pollyanna-ish, right? I mean, there's people who get really f- on drugs and ruin their lives and ruin the lives of their families. Yes. But, you know, don't get me started talking about drugs versus alcohol or whatever, right? And the, and the, yeah. the end of the day, it's still the same thing. It's harm reduction and, and pulling, tearing oh. families apart and by throwing too. parents and other, or children in prison. And then what happens to them when they're there? And then the fact that they can't get a job when they get out. And then it's like the ripple effect is so terrible. What it's done to the communities, particularly urban communities in this country, is, is just, it's, it's like a hurricane that hit these communities because of this ridiculous drug crimes and sweeps and things and like stop so how do we change it well we have to change the laws and there's a lot of movement in that direction you know there's there's more momentum on it than ever people you know the public it's interesting to see right we're in what i call the new age of activism right ever since um whatever that was that, that that very dark day november 20th um, you know, people are in the streets, people mm-hmm. are voting, people are starting to realize yeah. and people, and it started, you know, before that, as far Ferguson, as public, what are we talking about Ferguson or are we talking about? I'm talking about nationally, right? The, oh, gotcha. the, you know, the women's March and all oh, that gotcha, other gotcha, stuff gotcha, too. Gotcha, right. Gotcha. But, but so many now are going to have a scientist March. There's going to be a, you know, everything. Yeah. Everything. So, um, the, but, but even before then people were starting to vote and, and, and decriminalizing, you know, uh, people are now, uh, uh, death penalty laws are falling around the country. Mm. Right. Um, you know, unfortunately, there was a terrible setback in California and in Nebraska on the last election, which is beyond my comprehension how you could have a death penalty speed up law in California that actually passed on a referendum wow. is insane. Like, it's, if you want to guarantee the execution of innocent people, this would be how to do it. And then, and then it's crazy anyway, because California doesn't even execute people. They just like put them on death row, which I don't think anyone should be executed, but that's beside the point. So, um, because, you, I, because I can't live with the idea that we should execute one innocent person. You know that we should be okay with that, and we and we know that we execute lots of innocent people. Crazy, yeah, probably ten percent of the people have been executed. No country. way. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. So just because if they if it matches the crime and they point it to that person, they're going to get executed. Well, that's the perfect segue, right? Because you know when you deal with subjects of innocence, that's really my you know my uh, my consuming uh, passion for the last. Have you gotten anyone off death row? Yeah, we've gotten 20 or 21 people off death row so far. And gotten them removed from it and then removed from prison? Yeah, because they're innocent. You know, they're innocent. And we know that there's been multiple people executed that were innocent as well, like Cameron Todd Willingham in Texas, Jesse Teferro, um in Florida. Um, they were innocent, but they're gone. I mean, we executed them. As a state, we executed them. And, and I, don't, I don't see how anyone can be okay wow. with that. I mean, I think you know, reasonable people can have a debate about whether the death penalty should exist. I don't believe so. It's been proven you know, over and over again to not be a deterrent to anything. And it's barbaric and it's expensive. And you can't take it back. You, know? you can't take it back. Those, guys, those people can't bomb back. They're innocent. They're, they're gone. You know what I mean? So... And then, and then there's so many other problems with it. Um, but, and then, you know, the fact is that we're fifth in the world in the number of people that we execute. Like, really? You know, the only countries ahead of us are like uh, uh, China, I think Iran, Saudi Arabia, and um, there's one other. And it's not a good list to be on. You know, like, so it's, it's just so bizarre. Like, Western Europe, they don't execute people. They don't have to execute people. But, the, but, but back to the other thing. I mean, the growing awareness... Um, that has result, partially been a result of pop culture, right? Because with shows like 
Making a Murderer. Mm. And, Gosh, such a crazy show. And other ones. People are becoming They're more, getting frustrated. They're getting mad. Like you did 25 years ago, right? Yeah. I mean. Like, this is not okay. What are we going to do to change it, right? That could happen. By the way, whoever's listening, <clears throat> that could happen to you. <clears throat> You're not immune from it. And it could happen to anybody. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. It typically happens to people who are poor, you know. Um, I mean, the overwhelming number of people who are wrongfully convicted are poor, but not all of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Marty Tankliff, who's been on my show, Wrongful Conviction, was a, a, a kid from a wealthy family in Long Island who was 17 years old and woke up and found his parents murdered and was framed for the murder. No you know? way. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, his story is so deep. I mean, you have to get into the whole thing, and you should hear him. He's very eloquent. He served, uh, Marty served 17 years oh, in prison. For the 17-year-old, he got charged mm-hmm. as an adult? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and oh. the story is so twisted. I mean, it, the, uh, this, the, <clears throat> I mean, first of all, you wake up and you find your parents. Well, his mother was dead and his father was dying. Oh, my gosh. Death, right? Oh. And he calls the cops. He's holding his dad, you know. And oh, my gosh. And his dad's gosh. bleeding, you know, t- profusely. Meanwhile, there's a note on the dad's desk, which is a note, uh, a promissory note from his business partner who owed him a lot of money. And it was demanding that the money be paid. And that guy, you know, the, the problem was the dad who was a, an honest businessman, who was a successful businessman, had gotten into business with this guy who had a chain of bagel stores oh in Long gosh. Island. It turned out he found out that they were fronts for a drug operation. And the, and the other guy's son was dealing with some of the cops in, the, in Long Island at the time. And it was like they didn't want they didn't want to arrest that guy. And he was oh. the obvious suspect. And Marty, when the cops came, said, that's the guy that did it. He threatened to kill my dad. He owed him all this money. He was the last guy to leave the house last night. Like, they, and that guy, by the way, went and faked his own death, moved to California. No way. Changed his name, shaved his beard, uh, his head, grew a beard. Like, but why would you look? I mean, I'm not a long, I mean, I'm not like a, 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 I'm not a detective, but I don't know. Maybe you should take a look at that guy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've learned the hard way that constantly holding on to your emotions and repeatedly choosing to not talk about your feelings will only make you feel worse and worse. And up until about 10 or 11 years ago, I was afraid to talk about my trauma that I experienced. And I know we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. But therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lewis today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-E-W-I-S. Right? But they didn't. They just decided that they were going to get Marty. And that's what they did. And, you know, and then it's, it gets so twisted because, you know, he, he was living with his sister while he was waiting for his trial until she found out that 80% of the will was in his name. And then she decided that she, she wanted that money. Oh, so my she gosh. Became, she threw him out and got involved in trying to get him convicted. Shut up. She became the sole heiress. You can't inherit money when you murder your parents. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like Shakespeare, right? This is like right out of Shakespeare, like a tragedy of. And how know, does he cope with it? So he forgive everyone and moved on, or he's a an amazingly positive guy. I mean, you know, he's oh like gosh. he just uh, graduated law school. Um, you know, he's uh, he's just take, he's going to take the bar. He does a ton of public speaking. Oh my um, gosh! 
and he's you know he's very he's a big part of the movement to prevent wrongful convictions and it's amazing because i recently spoke at georgetown and then the professor took me to a class that he teaches in a prison there called jessup so i actually was in jessup maximum security prison um and this professor happened to have grown up with marty like they were they were they grew up at the time they were babies together. Crazy. And that's why he went to law school because he wanted to help his friend. And he told me that Marty had 17 appeals and every time it would fail and this guy would go to see him and he'd be like, Marty, I'm, I'm so sorry. Would say, Marty would be like, why? Dude, come on. We got this. We're wow. going gonna to do this. You know, he'd Next be time. Like, we got it. Yeah, we got it. We got it. Like, I mean, sounds like, you know, I mean, it probably probably has the same, a lot of this, it's all the same DNA that you've got, I yeah. guess, right? He's yeah. like, because he was facing impossible odds. But like, there might be a chance. Let's go. Yeah. But ultimately, uh, you know, he, he, he got it and now he's out and he's married and he's, you know, he's doing great. Uh, he got a settlement from the state, which is wow. you know, deserved. And we talked about that before. A lot of these guys don't get anything, but he was able to prove the misconduct that led to his. So he got a bigger settlement than most. He got it. He got a good settlement. I mean, it's enough to start a new life. And That's now, good. like I said, he's, you know, he just graduated law school. I'm super proud of him. He's just, he's just a sweet, lovely guy. So, 17 years. Yeah, 17 years, and that's, you know... It's a lifetime. Typically, the people that we exonerate, I think the average amount of time served of our, uh, of our you know, exonerees is about 14 years. Oh, my god. And, of gosh. course, then there's the ones that are sentenced to death, which is a whole other level of insanity. You know, like, I mean, just how like, they, imagine that for a second. How do they feel when they know they're going to die, and then they get out of it? Like, what do you... Yeah, I mean, I asked them that on the podcast. You know, oh, what did on, you do? On, on, on wrongful conviction. I try to highlight those moments, like the moment when they were convicted, the moment when they were exonerated, what did it feel like, you know. Um, you know, I was thinking about Sonny Jacobs, who we were talking about before. I mean, when she was finally freed, you know, she said she just walked out of the courthouse, like into the sunshine in Fort Lauderdale, and she was like, now what do I do? Like, she had a box with, like, uh, a couple pairs of underwear, a couple T-shirts, a couple pairs of pants, and she said she had her Walkman, and like $40 and that was it. And she's like, well, you know, what do I do now? How long was she in for? She was in for 17 years also, coincidentally, not to talk about Marty, but she was sentenced to death and her husband was executed. Her husband was a guy named Jesse Teferro. They were convicted. And this is a story. If you only listen to one episode of my podcast and, and this is uh, all of them, I you know the stories, not each story is it's crazy. Insane. Like for yeah. every week I'm like, I thought I had heard everything, you know, <laughs> and now it's like this one is crazier than the last one. And then you get to Sonny's story and it's like, okay, somebody needs to just like stop. This is like, I can't, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Like I said to you, like we were talking earlier, I said, if Quentin Tarantino and Victor Hugo sat down and tried to write the craziest screenplay they could come up with, they, they would stop short of this. They'd be like, they'd need a lot of alcohol to get to this place. Wow. And then they'd be like, no, we still got to pull out a couple of these elements. Because Sonny's story, in a nutshell, right, she, she and her husband, Jesse, were in Florida with their two kids. And the kids were uh, uh, nine and ten months old. And uh, I think the son was Eric and the daughter's Christina. And they were in a, in a car. They took a ride. Their car broke down. And a friend of Jesse's, offered to give them a ride across the state to go to her parents' house where they were going to get some, a car or something to go back yeah. to their home in North Carolina. They're at a rest stop, and a cop comes and shines a light in the window, and the driver, unbeknownst to them, was a felon and didn't feel like giving him his license and registration, so instead he pulled out a gun and shot the cop and then runs around, and the gun battle ensues with the other cop, 
who was a visiting actually Canadian constable. So he's killed the, the state trooper, and now he's shooting it out with a constable. Sonny's in the back. They had been sleeping. She's in the back now laying on top of her kids trying to protect them from this gunfire. And he ends up killing the other cop. And so wow. then he points the gun at them, and he's like, get in the cop car, right? And she's, Sonny says to her husband, I don't want to get in the cop car. This guy's crazy. And he says, we have to. We're witnesses now. He'll probably kill us too. So... They get, go to get in the cop car, and just some of the details, right? So her son gets out of the car, and he's sleepy and groggy, and he slips in the dead cop's blood and falls, right? Like Tarantino, right? Yeah. And they have to scoop him up. They get in the cop car. Then they, they end up in, going through this neighborhood, and it's morning, and the guy realizes driving a cop car is not a good idea. So he stops and grabs a guy who's getting his newspaper or something, an old guy, who, and, and makes him get the keys to his car, and then kidnaps him. That happens to be an orange Cadillac. So now you've got the six of them in this orange Cadillac. Oh and, of course, gosh. there's a, a roadblock. And then there's another gun battle, right? And Sonny's back laying on top of her kids. And, like, so I said to Christina, because Christina, the daughter, was on the show with me. And she had never spoken publicly before about what it was like growing up, having her father executed oh and her mother in prison for her entire childhood and adolescence. And she was there. Yeah. And she was there, yeah. And and so I was like, holy, you know, you survived two gun battles before you were one year old. Like, do you? You're kind of a miracle baby, you know. I mean, so before everything went wrong. Wow. And then the cops uh, arrested all of them. You know, Sonny was like, finally, they're going to save me from this maniac. But instead, no. they, they, you know, they they hit uh, the, Jesse with a rifle butt. And, um, you know, they want, when, co- cops, when cops get killed, they, they get, you know. They're going they after everybody. And they went after everybody. And so, she, she, you know, the story gets so much crazier because she was uh, sentenced to life by a jury. And the judge, whose name was Maximum Dan, there's a former state trooper who had a little electric chair on his desk that he would you could touch and it would zzz like that. So he over he overruled the jury and sentenced her to to, to death. And so what? so she was the only, and that's not legal anymore except in Alabama. It's the only state where a judge can do that. Um, but it it's used just to be one guy's opinion, right? So um, oh so gosh. now so then she ends up on death row where there's no there's no one else on death row there were no other women on death row because there hadn't been anyone sentenced in a long time in Florida at that time the death row there was a woman so she was all alone and the guards weren't allowed to talk to her because they didn't want them becoming attached to her and then they would execute her and then they would feel bad so she literally didn't get to speak to anybody for five years and ultimately you know getting to, to, to as, as close as, as quickly as I can to the end of the story the kids were now being raised by her parents. Her parents, five years later, are in a plane crash. Oh, my gosh. So the grandparents die, right? Christina, by the way, the daughter, now has a son named after her father who was executed, Jesse, and a daughter, Bella, named after her grandmother who was killed when she was taking care of her. So, I mean, you know, you can't make that up either, right? So anyway, the kids end up in foster care. The husband ends up getting executed after 15 years. And then it and then it just gets oh, crazy from there. Fifteen All, years, yeah, oh fifteen years gosh. in prison, and then executed. And then and his was the execution where the electric chair supposedly malfunctioned, although oh. we think it may have been intentional, and flames shot out of his head. Oh. So they executed him three times before oh, he died. Oh no! Yeah, well, you can't execute somebody three times, but they electrocuted him three times, and after that, they took the electric chair out of circulation. So, um, so yeah, and ultimately, Sonny was. Um, oh, here's I, I got to tell you this part of the story. So. And there's so much more. You have to hear the rest of the details on the show, but on wow. wrongful conviction. But Sonny ends up, her new lawyers end up finding the only witness against her, which was a jailhouse snitch, right? Which is a common thing, right? The cops will get somebody else's in jail and they'll go to them and say, like they did in this case, this is a woman who was arrested for 
passing bad prescriptions. And she mm-hmm. was a college student in Florida. And they said, look, you got a felony hanging over your head. Or you can just tell us that she told you that she did this. You'll be doing society a favor. She killed two cops and we'll let you out. So she testified and she said, on the, in the courtroom, she said, she told me she did it, she loved it, and she can't wait to do it again. Now, Sonny was a hippie, right? She wasn't trying to, and by the way, like I said on the show, like, if you're going to go kill two cops, do you really bring your kids? Like, is that right. really how you roll? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that doesn't make any sense. And Sonny, it's crazy. Like, she'll say um, one of her sayings, and I see her, I've seen her speak. She's amazing. She says, I went into prison, a wife, a, mo- a, a vegetarian, a wife, and a mother, and I came out an orphan, a widow, and a um, an orphan, a widow, and uh, oh, there's another thing I'm thinking of in a second. Uh, an orphan, a widow, and a ah, I forgot a mediator um, or what? Uh, or something. She, uh, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm, I, it was it was great until I just screwed it up. But anyway, <laughs> good. Um, so it'll come back to me. So they found the witness against her, uh, who now lived in Wyoming, and they went and saw her and told her what she had done, and she felt terrible and she wanted to make it right, but she said she was so scared of the prosecutor because he was so scary to her in the first place, and he was still there. She comes to testify. You're not ready for this, by the way. She sure. flies. They get a trial. They get a hearing. She flies to Florida. The witness who saw that she didn't do it. The witness who, who had testified and said falsely that yes. she had heard her say that she did it, yes. right? the jailhouse okay. snitch, Got it. who made up the whole story. Now we call them incentivized witnesses. They're no longer called jailhouse snitches, yeah, but yes. incentivized witness. She comes to court. Sonny's brought in. After being through this unbelievable saga, right? She gets on the stand, testifies for the defense, says she made up the whole story, apologizes to Sonny. The prosecutor gets up to cross-examine her, and you'll hear Sonny on, the, on, the, on my podcast talk about how she, she doesn't talk, and then she starts breathing heavily, and she's holding her chest. And Sonny's like, what, what's going on? And then she's like, Oh my God, she's having a heart attack. She had a heart attack on the stand. No. And Sonny's like, don't die. Oh my God. Don't die. You can't die. And she had a heart attack and was wheeled out of the courtroom. Shut up. She lived, but her testimony was no good because you oh. can't use defense testimony if you can't cross examine the witness. Oh. So Sonny goes back to prison. No. And ultimately, this woman was allowed to testify by videotape. Oh, and, my gosh. And so she was eventually freed. And now, you know, she's, uh, she's a yoga teacher. She teaches meditation. And she, um, she lives on the coast of Ireland with her new husband, who's also a death row exoneree that oh she met gosh. at an Amnesty International. But yeah, you can't make that up either. His name is Peter Pringle. He's incredible. He was convicted of killing two cops in Ireland and sentenced to death. It came within 10 days of being executed before he was exonerated. So he served 15 years. They have a lot to talk about. And now they run this place called the Sunny, uh, the Sunny Center where they, my daughter's on their board, and, and they bring people over, uh, other exonerees, and they teach them meditation wow. and, and yoga, and they teach them farming, and they, they just help them get their life back together, oh which is the most transformative thing. You know, I find for these exonerees, I get so much gratitude in my attitude from being around them because, like you said, they have this, this amazing this, this sense of grace and this lack of bitterness that is like, you know, if we all had that in our daily lives, you know, we just things would just be better, right? Yeah. People be, be getting more stuff done and 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 feeling happier and stuff. But they have this surreal ability to just transcend this experience and forgive and like, you know, it's it's totally nuts. And so, and the thing that seems to drive them the most is helping other people, helping other exonerees. Wow. 
And so, you know. they know the pain they went through, you know. And they want to prevent other people from having to go through that. There's such a selfless, oh, like, love that they have for each other and for, you know. It's my, it's, it's my. Yeah, you can see I'm, Incredible. Kind of, I'm kind of obsessed. Oh, I mean, I got into this kind of frustration around it when I saw Making a Murderer, you know. I mean, originally with my brother, you know, seeing that happen and what that was like. It's very personal. Yeah. And then seeing Making a Murderer and watching that was just like, you know, documentary or no documentary, you know, they obviously they skew it in one direction, but it's like, and other people had other opinions about it. But I'm like, either way, it's messed up the system. On how people are convicted and what it's for and all these things. And it doesn't matter if you didn't do it or not. No. It doesn't matter if you're innocent or not, which is messed up to me, which pisses me off, right? Yeah, somewhere. And now I'm watching uh, The Night Of. Yeah. Have you seen that one? Yeah. 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 I'm in like episode two and I'm like, this is crazy, oh, right? Episode five. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, somewhere it went from trying to solve the crime and, and, and get justice to trying to just get rid of the case yeah. you know and 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 that's it's so bizarre because the other thing lewis that that people need to understand is that in 50 percent, around 50 percent of the cases in which the innocence project has exonerated the innocent person by finding the dna that proves without any doubt right. that they didn't do it we've also gotten a hit by putting into the central database of dna that exists in this country now uh, I think it's called CODIS or something. And anyway, um, what we find is that in 50% of the cases, we identify the actual perpetrator. And in almost all of those cases, that individual has gone on to commit other horrible crimes, oh other gosh. rapes, murders, stabbings, whatever. And those people never needed to be victimized if the if the system worked correctly. And I always say there's there's, there's a lot of good cops, there's a lot of good prosecutors, of course. But there's there's a, there's too many bad ones. And the ones that are bad do an incredible amount of damage, not mm. only to the people who are wrongly convicted, but to the other victims of the actual perpetrator who never got taken off the street in the first place. And that's unacceptable no matter how you feel about law and order or this or that or whatever that's got to be unacceptable to everyone mm. you know you, you we 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 got we have to get back to a place of of motivate you know we need to have prosecutorial accountability we don't have any in this country there's no other profession where you can just completely screw up destroy someone's life and just be and like no accountability oops no accountability. You don't get disbarred. You don't get disciplined. You don't get thing. You don't get sued. You can't get sued if you're a prosecutor. So this is one of the things we're working on too. I mean, we're fixing it, and we're getting closer in a certain case where we, you know, this, you know how many prosecutors Lewis, have in this country have gone to prison for intentionally, wrongfully convicting someone? Zero. Two. Two. The wow. Duke Lacrosse guy who served one day. Uh, you should watch that movie too, by the way, on Thirty on Thirty. I've seen it. Amazing. The guy who was like just going after the whole team. Yeah. Yeah. That who, guy, Nifong. Yeah. But there was Sick nothing. Bastard. Yeah. We we we've now discovered another case where he, all the press he, and media around it, what he said and how he. Ugh. Those kids were. I mean, th that, didn't do anything. They didn't do anything, but they were lucky. They had the resources to defend themselves, God, right? Yeah, luckily, other and, and that one incredible attorney, that young attorney that that read that twenty five hundred <sighs> pages of. They tried to throw him off the trail, but he got it right. Um, it's crazy. But so he, so him, and then there was a guy named Anderson in Texas who sent this guy Michael Morton to prison for twenty five years 
before we exonerated him for the murder of his wife and intentionally withheld three pieces of exculpatory evidence. And everybody who watches TV knows you can't do that. It's called a Brady violation. You have to, if you have exculpatory evidence, first of all, you shouldn't be prosecuting the case. If you have evidence that proves that the guy didn't do it, you should, you should be dropping the thing and looking for the real killer. Yeah, exactly. And in his case, again, the guy turned out to be a serial killer. But wow. the, the other thing is you have to turn it over to the defense. But he didn't do it. And eventually we found that evidence. And, you know, and we also found that in that case, the prosecutor had said on the stand they had, a, they had an incentivized witness in that case. And he said that he didn't make a deal with the guy. And we found notes in the prosecutor's own writing where he made a deal with the guy. You know, where he was going to let him out of a robbery conviction if he, you know, so, and he, this guy ended up getting sentenced to 10 days in prison. That's it? He served three. He was disbarred at least, and so was Nifong. So oh that's my gosh. Start. But yeah, I mean. Sad. And here's the craziest thing. You're, this is, so Michael Morton, you, you got it. You got to hear this guy speak. He's been on 60 Minutes three times. He's the only person. But anyway, he, he talks about how he was in prison for 24 years and seven months. And then he'll go 24-7, like. It's pretty ironic, but that's beside the point. He's a guy who is like you can literally see a halo over his head, and he's been on my show on Wrongful Conviction. Wow. But he is a guy who at the hearing for the judge, who the, the prosecutor, Anderson, had become a judge by now. He was arrested in his chambers, right? And at the hearing, after he was oh had pled gosh. guilty of these you know, three felonies, which turned into misdemeanors. He was a prosecutor, and now he's the judge for the right, case. right. That happens a lot. A lot of these bad prosecutors become judges. So at the hearing in which he was to be sentenced, the judge, Anderson, who was the prosecutor, who took this guy's life literally away for the murder of his wife and made an orphan out of his son and the whole thing, right? So this judge is now going to be sentenced. And the presiding judge says to Michael Morton, who's there, is there anything you'd like to say? And Morton says... Your Honor, I hope you'll show mercy on this man. And I'm watching this and I'm going, I want to kill this guy. And wow. I'm not even a violent guy. Like, I want to strangle this guy. Not, you know, I mean, like the guy that did this. Like, how can you do that? Like, how do, you, how do people sleep at night? What the, what are you thinking? Like, I mean, so, yeah. So it's, it's really is, it's, um, wow. it's inexplicable. But it's beautiful to see. You know, and, uh, you know, I feel like we could talk for like five hours about this because I want to know more about your thoughts on making a murder and your thoughts on the other. What's the other documentary about the woman we were talking about? Sarah. Uh, oh, uh, Amanda Knox. Amanda Knox, which yeah. just blowed my mind as well. It was in Italy, right, or something, which is crazy. Don't get into it because we could talk about it forever. No, no, no. But, um, but she's been on my show twice. Exactly. She's, she's incredible. I'll just say that. If she's you got, an incredible, yes. incredible, like an ethereal being. Yes, if you guys want more information on this, make sure to check out Wrongful Convictions with Jason Flom on uh, iTunes because this is fascinating stuff. I mean, I, we could talk about this forever, but... Yeah, Spotify, go, Google, it's all those places. places. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to ask a final couple questions because, again, we could go on this forever. Uh, and do you have a hard out or no? You get No. Okay. I'm beginning this from a lot of my female friends lately that they are very frustrated about what's happening in the world. They feel this passion and this anger or whatever it is, they want to make a difference. But a lot of them feel helpless. What can these people do who have a passion for making change but feel completely helpless? Or they do one march and then they're like, okay, now what? What can they do to actually impact some type of movement like you have done or impact some type of change the way you've done it? 
what would you what would your advice be to to people out there like that? Oh, listen, there's so many. Or whatever their cause is. There's so many incredible organizations that you can join up with. I mean, whether it's change.org or whether you can. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think it starts with writing letters and making phone calls to your. Does that work? Does it help? Or? I mean, look, we live in a strange, altered reality, but it, it, it always has worked. I mean, we saw even with the confirmation of that. Uh, I don't. I don't want to. I want to choose my words carefully. Mm. Of Betsy DeVos, right? Um, which is one of the most surreal uh, nominations in the history of this country, and now appointments. Um, but there were two senators who said they changed their vote. Two Republican senators said they changed their vote because of all the pressure they got. So I think wow, you, you have to. Yeah, you have to make phone calls and write letters. It's extremely important. I mean, they they care. Politicians care. If they get enough letters, enough enough phone calls on a certain subject, they they know it because they want to stay in. They want to. They want to stay in. That's what that's one of the things that drives them, right? So so that's one of the things you can do. But then go. I mean, whatever your particular area of interest is, if you're a woman, maybe you want to go. Uh, you know, check out Planned Parenthood's website, or maybe you want to go to. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there's just um, there's there's dozens and dozens of of organizations doing incredible work all over the place now, right? There, there's more springing up. I mean, it's so, it's actually, as much as I wish we weren't in the state that we're in, it's exciting to see the number of people that are signing up to work at, at, at the ACLU or to become, yeah. uh, you know, the, the getting involved with any type of, uh, uh, you know, these, there's so, any, any one of these organizations that's trying to do good, right? It's just, it's just about doing good. I mean, now, you know, it feels like we're being swept away by a wave of, of the opposite, right? Of like, just like selfishness and, and, and xenophobia and, mm. and evil and wrong and, and persecution. Like, so what do we do? We react, right? We have to, yeah. we have to become activists. And it's, it's happening. These marches are amazing, amazing, right? These things are like, we haven't seen that. It's, it's, it's the new age of activism, right? We haven't seen that since the 60s. Crazy. And, 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 you know, and if your thing is, you know, if your thing is, um, um, you know, criminal justice, if you hear some of these stories and you're outraged, then, you know, go to innocenceproject.org, you know, go to uh, uh, FAMM, Families Against Management. FamiliesAgainstMandatoryMinimums.org. It's F-A-M-M.org. Mm. Or, or the Drug Policy Alliance. So hearing the stories about your brother. And again, it just makes me more motivated. Like, I don't, right. that shouldn't happen. I don't want that to happen to the next kid who's just trying to get high yeah, and go exactly. to a concert and not exactly. bother anybody. Yeah. Like, if you're bothering somebody, if you're going to hurt somebody, I get it. Mm-hmm. Then you need to be, you know, we need as a society to yeah. protect ourselves. We don't need to protect yourself from yourself. You should be able to do with your body what you want to. Right. You know? And that's, and that's basically that so yeah. it's weird we're okay with everybody having guns and shooting each other but we're not okay with somebody getting high what's going on here like are we in alice in wonderland it doesn't make any sense right right you know so yeah and by the way the good news is you can google like you could probably google i'm a woman and i'm angry what do i do right. i would be interested <laughs> yeah, to see yeah. what comes up you know it'll it'll steer you in the direction of a lot of great things i mean there's uh Listen, we need to help more than ever. There's more people willing to help than ever. The, you know, the amount of – I mean, I was so excited to see, um, uh, you know, the talent agency, UTA. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't, did you see what they just did? They, what they, they do? They canceled their Oscar party and they're doing uh, – um, they're taking all the money they're going to spend on the Oscar party and giving it to the ACLU, right? Wow. And they're going to have a protest instead. There's wow. like there, – there's, you know, to see, to see organizations getting involved in that way. But individuals, every individual – it has has to get involved and and do something like. I hope I answered the question. Yeah, that's great. I rambled. Um, I'm also curious about, 
you know, you've been around a lot of celebrities and people of with massive followings, massive influence. But I'm curious about how, you know, Hillary had every celebrity endorsement promoting her for her, and there was like zero celebrity endorsements, and they were all against. It seemed like, at least from my point of view, against Trump, and yet somehow. It didn't work in order moving the needle for Hillary, but having nothing, you know, people against Trump, everyone against him, it seems like he still was able to make it happen. So are celebrities actually as influential as we think they are in making change or is that completely irrelevant? No, I don't I don't think it's completely irrelevant. I don't know. Um, I mean, you need a social scientist mm-hmm. to talk about what the actual impact of somebody like LeBron James, who took such a courageous stand, or any of them, Jay-Z, or any, you know, what impact does that have on changing people's opinions? There's, there's such a small section of people in America who are undecided, you know? And so you're trying to influence those people. Then there's, for reasons that I'll never understand, um, you know, people have this visceral dislike or stronger of Hillary, mm. and I don't understand it. I mean, the woman has spent her life. Did she make mistakes? Of course she made mistakes, right? When you're a public figure for as long as she is, there's going to be something, right? Yeah. But the fact is, the idea that people, I don't know if it was misogyny, I don't know if it was, um, uh, but it was, it was, it was misplaced. Whatever it was that was bothering you about Hillary it doesn't matter you know it's like you, you the, your, when your option is mm. catastrophe right and the other person is somebody you think might have done something with some emails like it's not rational and now that you see what's happening with the, the, a lot of republicans i was seeing today on the news a lot of republicans are like at these town hall meetings yelling at their representatives going don't take away my health care but i voted for trump don't take away my health care mm. well, wait a minute wait a minute well, uh and people are saying, well, I didn't think he would actually do it. Right. Like, and you're going, all these people voting against their best interest. It doesn't make any sense. Like, how, I, it, it's it's monumentally incomprehensible. But, you know, and and it, it breaks my heart because I think if, if Biden would have won, he probably would have won all 50 states. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, and, and then there's the other problem, which is that she won by 3 million votes. I mean, what mm. kind of country do we live in? It's like we're supposed to be the greatest country on earth. Go to another country. Next time you go to Iceland or wherever the hell you go, <laughs> ask them who won the popular vote. And they're right. going to put you in a, in a facility for overnight. They're going to be like, this guy's a, he's confused. He needs to be in a safe place with, you know, where he can't hurt himself. Right, right. Like, there's no popular vote, idiot. <laughs> right? There's no popular vote. There's a vote. Right. Right. What do you mean popular vote? There's a vote. The one who right. got more votes was Wins. the winner. Yeah. The one who got less votes went home. Crazy. And that's it. And so not only do we have a country where three million more people voted for Hillary, and then there's all the other people who are completely out of their minds that voted for Jill Stein or, or you know, what's his name, Johnson, right? Who couldn't name one world leader. But then there's, then there's the other problem, which is that if you look at the Senate, right, because of, because of the way the electoral stuff breaks down, right, I think what is the statistic I saw that of the 48 Democratic senators, they received combined like 73 million votes. Mm. And of the 52 Republican ones, they received a combined total of like 40 something million votes. So it's like mm. we, you know, we live in a, in, a, in a system which is archaic where somebody's vote in Wyoming is worth four times as much as your vote in California. Right. 
Does that make you a quarter of a person? You look like a full person. What are you, like 6'1"? 6'4". <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, you're at least a whole person. Exactly. You might be a person in a quarter. I don't know. But your vote counts 25% as much as some of the people. And the sad thing it's is crazy. that it's actually you know, paradoxically worked out in a way where you know, the people who are uh, less educated, let's say, um, are the ones who have a much higher influence on the outcome of the elections. And so I don't know whether the, um, uh, uh, whether, what the effect was of the celebrities on mm. the outcome of the election, but I do know that, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the damn thing was decided by the director of the FBI, mm. the Russian interference. It was a perfect storm, you know, of you know, of terrorableness. Wow. And, you know, the, even with all of that, right, the fake investigation of Hillary and the Russian thing and the, all the other stuff, which it, at one time there would have been like every politician in the country going, this is, a, it, we have to overturn this. Russia interfered. Russia, right? Not like Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Russia. Yeah, it's crazy. But it's like, oh yeah, Russia. Well, we'll have an investigation or something. You know, I mean, when we get around to it. So it's pretty, it's pretty bizarre. You know, we live in a very strange alternate universe. Mm. She won, but she lost. The yeah. Senate, we won, but we lose. You know, the House of Republicans, the House of Representatives, same thing. It's all gerrymandered, and and they, you know, so I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's. It's scary times. Politics will be your next thing you go after, after you can solve the uh, the case of the criminal injustice system, right? Ah, uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll go. Maybe we'll get into it together. Exactly. I, I would yes. do that with you in a second. Exactly. Um, and we can drop some knowledge on everybody. It'd be a lot of fun. <laughs> but yeah, I think. Look, you know, you're not the the, the message I want to give people is you're yep. not you're not powerless. The situation is scary as hell. Probably scariest times that ever in this country since at least the Revolutionary War. And, um, but you, but you have, what we can't do is cower in a corner, right? I mean, I, I allow myself a certain amount of time each day to be angry and, uh, and to be, you know, depressed, you know, I'll read a story like the one in the newspaper this morning about that poor woman in Arizona who was just deported, you know, and now her kids are like, like sitting there like, why? And, you know, they, uh, you know, and then, then you go, okay, what am I going to do today? I got to do something about this. I got to make my voice heard. You to know. be angry, then you got to take action. Yeah, it's happened in, in other countries before. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, you there's a lot of people out there. We need everyone needs to get involved. People are doing it. That's yes. the good news. They're doing it, and so this number of signups at the organizations that are trying to do good is off the charts right now. And you need to be one of those people. So find your groove, whatever that is. Whether it's one of the organizations we talked about, whether it's something completely different, whether it's volunteering at a shelter, whether it's helping animals, whether it's you know, working with the homeless, whether it's, you know, there's going to be more and more of that, right? So we need more and more people to help until mm-hmm. we can get this ship righted. Yeah. And you're one of them. Whoever you are out there, you have the power to make a difference. You're listening to the show, so you obviously want to make a difference because uh-huh. otherwise, why would anybody be listening to your show? Right. Nobody listens to this show that's lazy. <laughs> exactly. Right? No. People are no. want to, you know, they're, they're, they're finding their groove, right? Yeah, yeah. They want to find their groove. So, so that's, that's, if I could leave you with one yeah. thought, that's it. Like get, get mad get get up and get after it and let's let's mm. let's let's do this together let's let's yeah. make a difference i love it okay a couple final questions um if this was uh your last day many years from now many years from now you've let's done hope. you've done everything you've wanted to do you've changed systems you've saved lives you've gotten people out of prison you've done all these things you want to do and um 
you're in your 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 last night of sleep, and then you're not going to wake up again, right? And all your friends or family are there, and they say, you know, if you could share three lessons, three truths of all the things that you know to be true, of all the experiences you've had in the music world and the criminal justice world and everything else you've done, if it boils down to three truths, what would you write down on a piece of paper and, and give to us as kind of these lessons that we should live by, these principles? Well, um, one I would say is the one I got from my dad, which is, you know, the, the do whatever you want to do, try to be the best at it, but make the world a better place. Um, and with it, and with that part underlined, you know, make the world a better place. Um, it's, I call it selfish altruism. You know, I have derived more satisfaction from helping even one person take any one of the cases I've worked on um, and getting one person out of prison who doesn't belong there than from all of the, um, you know, great experiences I've had in the music business. Um, so that's probably number one. Number two would be um, I have this different take on the old expression, preparation plus skill equals luck. Mm -hmm. You know, my version is preparation plus skill plus perseverance equals luck. So, I would say that's a lesson that I've learned that I would want to share because I think that, and we talked about this a little bit, you know, the greatest ideas in history, almost all of them were rejected. And most of the people who came up with them were told that they were insane and should go do something else, right? Whether it's the Wright brothers or, you know, whoever, you, you, you know, just, it's easy to find out, right? Yeah. I mean, Fred Astaire was told that he couldn't, you know, had, what was it? Can't sing, can't dance, can act right. a little, right? The, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the agent told him. <laughs> sure. um, so from the greatest inventions, I'm sure the guy who came up with the wheel, they were like, yo, Ugg, you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah. need wheels, we're yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> Get him out of here, he yeah. should have trademarked it. <laughs> anyway, so, um, so that would be number two. And uh, number three would probably be um, maybe the first thing that comes to mind, and, and you didn't warn me you were going to ask me this question, uh, so this is off the top. But I would say, and this is something I learned from reading you, mm -hmm. um, which is or, or it's my interpretation of one of the messages that you put out there, which is fake it till you make it, mm -hmm. you know? And what I mean by that is um, if you get an opportunity, and, and Richard Branson talks about this too, right? If you get it, one of my great heroes. So if, if, you, if you get an opportunity and it looks like it's something that's, you know, too big for you to handle, too, too out of your skill set, take it. <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah. You can, you know. I did, you know, and you did. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you've done it several times. So, yeah, um, yeah I would say that's, uh, those are probably the, those are the three that, you know, uh, come to uh, mind now. Spontaneous. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Jason, for your incredible caring ability. And not many people, you know, who are at the level of success that you've achieved in your industry, the top of your game there, are committed to taking time out to help one individual at a time to save their lives. And I think it's unbelievable the amount of commitment and dedication you've had over the last 25 years in what you're doing to make an impact and what you're doing to make a change. And you've done it on the ground, helping individuals one by one to being on the board of however many foundations you're on the board of to now running your own podcast, which I want everyone to go listen to wrongful conviction to bring the awareness even more to people. And I want to acknowledge you for caring, even at the level that you're at, that you're still want to give and serve. And 
support people and it, and it really matters when you're making a huge impact in the world so i acknowledge you for that incredible gift well thank you it's uh yeah. that, that, that means a lot coming from you and you know i i do it just it just seems second nature and i as i said it's it's a it's i feel extremely lucky mm. even blessed to have found uh, a cause that speaks so deeply and clearly to me yeah. and to be able to be in a position to you know help uh, is is a gift, and I think to varying degrees everybody is. Yeah, you know, even if it's just a random act of kindness to a stranger, whatever. Sure, you know, walking down the street. I mean, walking, you know, an old lady, whatever it might yeah. be. You know, like yeah. you have the power to do that today. Right. So and you know and I, I recommend it because it makes you know feels it, good. It, it feels good. <laughs> and right. It's good to do. That's Stay that selfish forward. altruism thing. Yeah. Exactly. I like it. Um, before I ask the final question, what, uh, where should we connect with you personally? Do you have your own website or just go to the, uh, the podcast, follow you on social media? Where do you like to hang out? Yeah, actually, I'm glad you asked. I, I, I take my Instagramming very seriously. I just started following, uh, yes. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to be watching everything now. So my Instagram is at It's Jason Flom. That's I-T-S Jason Flom. I will make you, uh, hopefully I'll make you laugh and cry and think. <laughs> And, um, you know, my, one of my other passions these days is saving the rhinos. And so, um, you'll see some fantastic rhino pictures and videos as well. They're That's my cool. favorite animals and they're, you know, on the verge of extinction, which mm. makes me sad and insane. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so there's that. And also, you know, I have, I have a clothing line called Christian Benner, um, that I work with, which is, uh, an exciting thing. It's Christian Benner dot com or at Christian Benner on uh, on Instagram. So, um, but yeah, Instagram is is my jam. Cool. Um, and uh, please uh, uh, follow me, and and you know you'll you'll get some. Hopefully, you'll get some inspiration from that. Yeah, and then the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those places, right? Yeah, the, the podcast is everywhere. Um, it's easy to find, and uh, as I said, Spotify and yeah. And Google, and so, um, and and I think it's uh, you, you'll if you liked this conversation, you'll love more of it. So it's it it gets into really amazing detail, yeah. And um, you know, these are all I'm really doing is providing a platform for these incredible people to right. tell their stories, and it's you know, it's a it's a th I don't know if I could call it a thrill, but it's a it's an honor for me to be mm. able to work with them and to help them and. And to get that st those stories out there, so that people hopefully will, yeah. you know, be be more aware, and and when they serve on juries, they'll be more, they'll be less likely to just believe what they're being told by a government official, whether it's a prosecutor or a policeman or a forensic somebody, because they've heard the podcast and and they're like, well, wait a minute, I know that this isn't always true, like yeah. you know, like let me just take a more skeptical, more informed view, mm -hmm. and not. You know, and not just accept it because there's a lot of factors that go into these right. wrongful convictions and you learn about them on the show. Yeah, very cool. Final question is, what's your definition of greatness? <clears throat> wow, what's my definition of greatness? Um, my definition of greatness is, I don't know, I think greatness is something that can be achieved on a, uh, on a global scale or can be achieved on a very... Uh, minute scale or microcosmic scale i think greatness can be found anytime you get into the zone and what i mean by that is like anybody who's doing their thing and and doing it in a way where they're very present and they're focused and they're positive 
Um, you know, I mean, it, it's great. You know, I love I love being on your show because yeah. I always like to be around people who are sort of tapped into something. Uh-huh. You know, whether intellectually or spiritually or, um, you know, metaphysically mm-hmm. or motivationally. And so, you know, th- that feeling that everybody has occasionally of not having your mind be somewhere else other than where you are, right? right? The thing that Eckhart Tolle talks about. Right. Power um, of now. The power yeah. of now, yeah. Is I, I think that's um, that's greatness. I think any time you can achieve that by doing something mm. positive, if, if robbing a bank's your thing and <laughs> right, that right, gets right, you right. to that place of being friends, <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. then I'm not going to sign <laughs> off on that. But, you know, anything you can do, whether it's, you know, if it's surfing, if it's yeah. you know, if it's uh, you know, a sport, or if it's a if it's an act of kindness, or if it's volunteering, or if it's being on a, a you know, in a great conversation like this one, I think that's that's greatness, you know, and uh, and and the more you can, you know, I I believe that the quality of life is proportionate to the amount of time you can spend being present and how present you can be when you are, and so if you can find what gets you there. And it's something that's in some people it's meditation or mountain climbing or whatever it is. Extreme danger always does it, right? But you mm-hmm. can only spend so much time in extreme danger, like swimming with sharks or yes. you know something like that. Or, um, but uh, um, you know you could always. I'm sure if you had a, a you know a mountain lion chasing after you, you'd probably be you know really Present. focused. Yeah. Yeah, only, <laughs> there's a small amount of you time don't you can do that. doing that. And so for some people it might be sex or whatever it is. Yeah. But again, there's a limited amount of time you can spend doing that too. So whatever it is that you can mm-hmm. find, if it's reading, get into that. Try to spend a little more of your time than you're doing now doing that. Mm-hmm. That that'll be find your greatness that way, and then hopefully that can flow outward and you can you know. Mm-hmm like you know have an effect on other people because yeah. you're more in your own zone which to me is is probably an odd definition of greatness but that's mine mm. i love it well make sure you guys check out wrongful convictions jason flom thank you so much for coming on Appreciate thanks it. and there you have it guys i hope you enjoyed this one if you did a couple things of my request one share this with your friends lewishouse.com slash four five eight Tweet it out, post it on Instagram, share it on Facebook, and tag me and at Jason Flom and let us know what you thought about this. Also, the full show notes where you can connect with Jason, learn about his podcast because it's incredible. Go listen to it and download it. You're going to be so inspired about what he's doing over there with the wrongfully convicted. So make sure to check all the stuff he is out and send him some love of what you thought about this interview and what you learned the most. Also, if you've not left a review yet, make sure to leave a review over on iTunes and potentially be one of the reviewers of the week. We'll see every single week. We give a shout out to those who have the best reviews and thanks to everyone who left reviews this last week. We all have incredible gifts in this world and it's our job and responsibility to figure out what they are and make the most of them. I'm so glad we were able to have Jason on because he's making the most of his gifts and he continues to inspire me and so many other people. I hope you guys enjoyed this one and you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Great.